Hey, all you cool cats and kittens, and welcome to the third episode of our podcast, Refining Religion. My name is Cameron, and I am the host of this podcast, along with my partner, Verlin. This week, we are on the topic of love. That's right. We're not talking about the love shack by the B-52s. No, we are talking about love as it relates to one another and our love with Christ. Enjoy. My opinion, the most overused phrase, the most overused word, uh, and that is love. What do you think, Verlin? I totally agree. I mean, in our society, you can say, I love my ink pen and I love my wife, which might be an insult to my wife. So uh, thinking about what we mean when we say love is really an important thing, especially as you and I are focusing on the gifts around times of death and dying, uh, to think about uh, what we've said before. We've said that uh, the first two gifts were to say, I forgive you, please forgive me. The second gift was to say, thank you. The third gift is to say, I love you. But that phrase needs to be filled with some meaning. And to say that I love someone um, demands that I think about who they really are and what it is that I have such a deep and abiding appreciation for. So uh, in other words, to say I love you means that I'll be able to recount Uh, characteristics that you have, things that you've done, attitudes that you carry that have impacted me and shaped me and changed me for who I am today. Uh, I don't think there's anything more profound in our lifetime than to hear someone else say, I love you because. Um, You can never get enough of those. Yeah, yeah, that word makes a huge difference. One thing I'm, I'm you know, as you were talking, I'm curious about, to me, at least there are different levels of love, right? You talk about your pen and your wife. I hope you love your wife more than you love your pen, or at least it's a different kind of love. <laughs> I hope you replace your pens more often than you replace your pen. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it, you know, it does saying I love you because who I'm saying it to, does that dictate the amount or type of love? You know, if I'm saying it to my best friend, of course, it's totally different than my significant other. Yeah. In, in fact, if uh, you do some language study, like in Greek, there are three or four different words for the word love that we've just kind of thrown all in together to say love. And so we don't uh, spend nearly enough time, I don't think, parsing out how my love is different for different things, uh, inanimate objects, pets, um, friends, and uh, significant others. I mean, uh, the dynamics of love change uh, according to the relationship. Um, and so uh, in all those situations, it, it just does us good to stop and think about uh, what specifically uh, is it that, that you love about that person. And then to take the bold and sometimes difficult step of actually telling them. Yeah. I will say that there have been many times in my life where I have loved somebody, but I have not been in love with them. Why is there a difference? Like what, why is that a thing? Well, here again, I think, uh, if one of the best definitions I've heard for love is that it it is a, a state of unconditional positive regard. So you can have that kind of attitude towards someone, an unconditional positive regard, because you only know so much about them. The complicated thing about love is that the more you 
know someone, sometimes the harder it is to love them. Um, and quite frankly, that's true of ourselves as much as it is of anybody else. Wow, you sound just like every ex-girlfriend I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get too personal, Cameron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, this has been a really weird time the past few weeks. I have never been harder on myself and I've never not loved myself as much as I have the past few weeks. Yeah. You know, there's, there's such a method to the madness of loving yourself before you have the ability and freedom to love others. And in these weird times, I'm just, I'm having a difficulty with that. Uh, I, I hear you. And I agree. I think that that's so true when you have this much time to look in the mirror, as we say, you, you see all your flaws. It's rare that we go to a mirror and say, wow, looking great today. Um, usually we go to the mirror and say, ew, what happened there? And I got to work on this part. And so I think that's a kind of a natural outcome of this time is we're, we're taking long, hard looks at ourselves and saying, am I the person that I wish I was, that my dog thinks I am, um, that I want to be in, in the life of faith. Am I that person or am I something else? And usually we end up finding out that we're not quite what we had hoped we would be or wished that we could be. Yeah. And, and, and when you have those experiences and those times and those days where the answer is no, I don't, I'm not where I wanted to be or where I thought I would be, how do you prevent yourself from very easily slipping into, you know, a grand scheme of I don't love myself at all? That, that seems like a very slippery slope uh, to go through. It does. And, you know, like many things, I think it's about what you give attention to. And so my uh, thoughts about that are to be very intentional about creating a list about the things that you do love about yourself and reading it and uh, reciting it maybe a couple, three times a day until it becomes a part of your vocabulary. I think uh, if you ever stop and listen to yourself talk, um, it's just amazing what we say to ourselves in a day. I, I remember backing up in a parking garage once and, and hitting a sign and it didn't do any damage, but I bumped into it. And the first thing out of my mouth was, you idiot. And I thought, well, wait a minute, I'm not really an idiot. Why would I yell at myself for doing something that's just human? But that kind of stuff goes on in our heads all day long. And we're, we're not uh, intentional enough to stop it and to say, uh, today I'm going to say uh, 10 nice things to myself in the course of the day or 100 nice things. There does seem to be a correlation between being mindful and love, right? You can't say I love you because if you're not mindful of what you love about that person. Yeah. Um, I've been trying to put this more in my daily routine in the mornings of if I'm pract practicing some sort of mindfulness, giving myself permission to acknowledge the parts that I don't like, but love the parts that I do. And it does seem that like we've talked about in the previous podcasts, permission is the foundation to a successful relationship with, in this case, love. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's well said. It's well said. Um, I, I think so uh, often that of the miracle of birth when a baby comes into the world. And I remember the feelings I had when my own children were born and, and even again when my grandchildren were born. 
it's just like you pour love into them, like they're an open receptacle for that love. But somewhere along the line, as we become adults, we have to realize that we can't depend on other people to fill up our love cup, that we're the, we become responsible for doing that. And part of that, for me, is, is in the encounter with God, where, you know, we hear that God so loves us, and we, we live and move and have our being in God, that we actually live in love. We have to start wrapping our heads around that thought and not depend on other people to tell us that so much as we are able to claim it for ourselves. And that, that includes accepting the fact that we're not perfect, yeah. that we, we are a human being. And um, learning to accept that, if, if you like the definition of unconditional positive regard, how do you show that to yourself? How do you accept yourself as you are? <clears throat> and maybe to be able to say, um, I'm good enough. Now, that may be just for today. Maybe it's not for tomorrow. But for today, I'm good enough. Um, I have God's blessing on that, in fact. And we'll see what tomorrow brings. But today, I'm good enough. Yeah, wow. There's one thing I wanted to talk about that you just mentioned that we as adults have to realize that no one else is going to fill up our love cup. As you said, there's not like a, that's not a drink at Starbucks. That's, yes. that's the thing. Um, <laughs> what, so something I'm noticing uh, is that for 18 years, you are taught that other people fill up your love cup because you are shown and love is poured into you by your parents, by your family, things like that. I think that that age is moving back. You know, I'm seeing, you know, 25, 26, 27 year olds who are still expecting that. And I think that that is the fault of many relationships that I've had that I've seen my peers have. Um, you know, how do, how do we, how do we fix that? How at an earlier age do we accept that we are responsible for our own love? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to blame anybody. I think it's a societal thing. I think it's a parenting thing. Yeah, it's maybe even a church thing. Um, how, how do we figure out and how do we encourage people to grow up emotionally? Uh, I've spent a lot of time in the last <clears throat> 25 years working on that for myself and for future clergy in particular. How do, how do we become mature? There's a, I'm going to do a little commercial today. There's a lovely book that's out called uh, How to Be an Adult. And it's not a very thick book, but it is a powerful book. It talks about what it means to be an adult, <clears throat> how to become responsible. It's the kind of book that you just don't sit down one lazy summer afternoon and buzz through it and say, oh, I got that figured out. It's much more of a kind of book where you take it with a friend or a small group and you work through the chapters, and then you do the work. You, you pay attention to what the chapters are saying, and, and you do the emotional work that it takes to um, and heal some of the wounds of your past, but also to recognize that as an adult, I am responsible for taking care of myself. I once joked, but I kind of mean it. Um, I, I wish that the church um, would decide that when new members come in, the first thing we would give them is a copy of this book. And the second thing we would do would be to offer to pay for six months of therapy for them. <laughs> Not that it would be mandatory, <clears throat> but that it would be an invitation for them to 
to uh, go ahead and jump into the process of, of emotionally maturing, if you will. Let's bring it back to uh, if someone is dying and you have some wounds from the past with this person, uh, part of the gift that you give to them as they're dying is to say, you know, dad, mom, uh, grandpa, you were good enough. Um, and my love for you uh, is the thing that accepts what you gave to me as good enough for getting me to where I am today. And thank you for that. You know, this is all wrapped together. In that phrase alone, I kind of said, I forgive you, thank you, <clears throat> I love you. Um, so um, that's a huge piece in this work, it seems to me, is to look at each other after we've looked at ourselves as good enough and that we accept each other without these all these conditions that make life so hard. One thing that I struggle with, and I would love feedback, and I'm sure my girlfriend would too, is that I find it difficult to stay consistent with my affection and emotion with my significant other and also work on my self-love because there are days where if I'm not feeling love for myself, I'm not projecting love um, yeah. you know, to her. And that, that affects the relationship tenfold. Um, but that doesn't seem like that's ever going to stop. That's, you know, just cause I'm, that's not happening just cause I'm 27. That's going to happen well into our marriage. You know, you've been married. Is this something that you experience? Yeah, we've got it all figured out. So I'm happy to tell you that once you get to be 67, it all works. No, no, no. <clears throat> I think part of the trick, Cameron, for me is, is do we have the capacity to name that to the person that we love? And to say, this isn't about you, it's about me today. Um, and um, I promise I'll get back with you. Maybe even we should set an appointment uh, for six o'clock tonight where we're going to sit down. But I just need some space. And again, it's not about you, it's all about me. Yeah. And, you know, that, that can be abrupt at first, but I think it, it sends the clear message that it's not a mystery. It's like your partner doesn't wonder why is he so quiet or what, what's going on with him. Uh, to name what you're experiencing is a powerful step in, in giving yourself what you need at that moment. Yeah. We, before this, talked about the biblical sense of love and scripture that mentions love. You know, if you don't mind expanding on kind of what we talked about earlier. Sure. Um, so one of the things that we hear is that uh, greater love hath no one but to lay down your life for another. And um, I think some of that in scripture can be misunderstood to say that you sacrifice yourself completely for someone else. Um, I I don't think that's always helpful. I think that's often fosters dependency, which is often a confusing way that we think about love. It's that if I love somebody, I will give them everything that they need and um, whatever they want that I have is theirs. Um, I don't think that's love. I think that's dependency and keeping people helpless. Um, there's a theory about parenting that says that our goal as parents is just to be good enough. Oh, there those words come back again. <clears throat> but the point is to say to give your child enough so that they can grow and mature, but to not meet every need so that they have to figure out how to take care of themselves a little bit. 
So I think when we when we get into this notion of what does it mean to love as Christ first loved us, I think it's it's the whole notion of um, of really creating a sense of freedom and space so that we can love us as Christ has first loved us. That's the way I would phrase it, I guess. Um, there's an interesting thing that I think about when um, I read the story of creation. Um, in that story, uh, the main characters, Adam and Eve, um, are told not to eat this particular fruit. And what uh, strikes me as so funny about that is that they can't not eat it. It's as if part of their human nature is to not be satisfied with what they had. All they had to do was turn their back. But it's as if the story is saying to us is that as humans, we're always having to fight this craving to be more, to do more, to know more. And part of what I think uh, that message is, is that can we, again, learn to love ourselves and be good enough and accept our shortcomings, accept our deficiencies, if you will, or those things that we judge as incomplete and love ourselves as we are. Yeah. You know, I, I hope that he's okay with me sharing this. My best friend from college, we have roommates all through college and we've stayed close. He actually just called off his wedding and he ended his engagement because he realized that where he's at right now is not a place of self-love Yeah, and is in a place of dependency you know, it wasn't a mutual relationship of love. It was a, a dependent and a love. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy to hear that after two years, one day you just wake up and feel this way. But <laughs> I, I do feel, and as we've talked uh, before, that being present with your body, these aches and pains that are there will manifest itself physically if you don't allow them to come emotionally. So we've talked about being mindful in the way that we love ourselves and love others, but there's also a mindfulness that just needs to come with accepting who we are. So in relation to what we've talked about, the way that love is a gift that death brings, how, so, you know, if, if I've lost someone important in my life or a significant other, how can I continue to love them and care about them, but not be stunted in my personal growth. Yeah, um, I think it's important for us to remind ourselves again that grief is really uh, a lifelong process. I remember after my father died, I put a little, uh, almost a little shrine on my desk. It was the Bible he got when he uh, made confession of faith. It was a picture of him sitting in his recliner talking on the phone, and it was a pair of sunglasses that um, he, um, or not sunglasses, reading glasses that he always wore. I laid those all together on my desk. And after about eight months, a friend of mine walked into my office and said, isn't it about time to put those away? I was so angry at him for that. Uh, I still have those things and I still have them set out. And he's been gone since 1988. Um, I, I think we have to... Um, let that stuff happen and not try to rush it. Um, you can do some intentional things. Um, I think I said this to you before. I've 
I have conversations with my mom practically every day and she's been gone uh, for a number of years now. Um, and I, I don't know, I sort of trust this universe we live in that, that uh, saying it out loud has an impact. Maybe not on them as much as on me to hear my own voice say those words and um, and like I said before, too, to write the letters to them that just you keep in a drawer. Um, they help they help the process move along, and I think they help to have us do the forgiving that needs to happen as well. Well, before we go, I wanted to just say one thing to anybody listening. One, we fully appreciate you listening to our conversations. We hope that you're getting as much out of this as we're putting in. But you know, above all else. You are loved, we love you, and you're doing, you're doing well. You're doing all right. Just keep practicing, just keep moving forward. Um, you please use Verlin and I as a resource if you need anything uh, that we might be able to help with. But above all else, just never forget that you are loved by the person who created the heavens and the earth. And that is the most powerful thing, and that trumps everything. And for today, you're good enough. Yeah, there it is. <laughs>